a reasonable person might not know a whole lot about it. And it's really easy to make the claim that nuclear waste is this big, bad, awful thing. Um, I, I do believe it's overblown. Nuclear waste, especially in Canada, has been stored safely and successfully for decades. We've never had an issue. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Hello and welcome to The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. This episode is another in my series leading up to the Stand Up for Nuclear events coming up in September 2021, and hopefully uh, every year thereafter. In this episode, I'll be interviewing another Canadian organizer and a nuclear industry professional. We'll discuss the controversy over Canada's Deep Geological Repository, one of the leading options for long-term mitigation of nuclear waste hazards. If you enjoy what you're hearing on this podcast and you like my show, be sure to hit like on your podcast app. Uh, I'd love to have you leave a review or share it with your friends And I'd love to hear from you on my Facebook group, The Rational View. I've got some big news for you. If you're a follower of this podcast, I've got an interview coming up in the fall of 2021 with Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. So that's big news. I'm really excited. Uh, We'll talk about science and cool stuff, uh, probably touch on astronomy, maybe even touch on nuclear power and climate crisis. Uh, Really looking forward to it. So stay tuned. Sheila Wytock is a nuclear operator at Bruce Power in Ontario, Canada. Sheila got her BA at Laurentian University, her Bachelor of Education at Wilfrid Laurier University, and completed a power operator apprenticeship while working for Bruce Power. She was raised on a beef farm in Orillia and now resides in Teeswater, one of the potential host sites for Canada's Deep Geological Repository. Sheila is co-founder of Willing to Listen, a grassroots group interested in pursuing the facts and benefits associated with potentially hosting a deep geological repository in their community. Along with this, she is also host of the podcast, Willing to Listen, board member of Canadians for Nuclear Energy, local contact for Mothers for Nuclear Canada, and local organizer of stand-up for nuclear events within Ontario. Sheila, welcome to The Rational View. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you are very active in the pro-nuclear field. Uh, how did you get interested in nuclear energy growing up on a beef farm in Aurelia? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite the story, but um, my husband actually is an operator here as well. Um, and it kind of started when I got my Bachelor of Education and jobs were hard to come by, permanent um, reliable jobs at the time. You had to volunteer and um, supply for quite a while before you... Um, could get a full-time job and he suggested that he thought I'd be a good fit for the operator job. Um, So I started pursuing that and I got hired here myself and then through my own time here got to learn that a lot of public perceptions of nuclear and nuclear energy are not true Um, and that kind of got me involved in the advocacy side. So how long have you been an operator at Bruce? Uh, It will be it was eight years in May. Wow. So what exactly is a nuclear operator? Is that like what Homer Simpson does? Uh, Well, (laughs) sort of. (laughs) Um, uh, Homer Simpson is quite the um, horrible example, actually. But um, 
a control room operator would do a similar job to Homer, only it would be much more serious. Um, they sit in front of our panels upstairs and control the reactors or our common services. I am a field operator. Okay. So I am going around. It's always tough to explain this, but we go around and do our rounds and routines. We check our equipment, make sure that everything is operating as expected. Um, we do any safety system testing. We call them SSTs to make sure that our safety systems like the vacuum building and emergency coolant injection and standby generators and all those things work as expected. Um, and then we also do work permits. So if something needs to be taken out of service for maintenance or repairs, we make sure that it's safe for people to work on it. Wow, that's cool. And probably a hundred other things that I've forgotten. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's great. So Bruce is like the, the workhorse of Canada's nuclear industry. Like that's that's producing a good chunk of Ontario's power. How much of Ontario's power does, does Bruce produce? Uh, Bruce power currently produces around 30% of Ontario's power. 30% of Ontario's electrical power. Yeah. That's, that's a third. That's that's huge. Yeah. And and it's clean, no carbon dioxide, nuclear power. What's, what's the morale like inside the nuclear facility? It seems like nuclear power has been kind of a taboo subject in the media, and especially in progressive environmental circles. Is there a feeling that society is against you? Is it, is I, I don't think so around here, especially in Bruce County. Um, Bruce Power is the single largest employer in our county. It uh, has changed our county for the better. I don't think that... Let me take a step back. The last few years are a little different, but before that, um, you know, nuclear workers didn't really have um, a taboo on them other than, you know, the odd time you go, they're a point worker. Um, You know, people sometimes look down on good paying union jobs, um, which is a different thing, but never really related to what we do specifically. Okay. But you said uh, more recently things have changed? Yeah, a little bit. Um, With the potential of this deep geological repository, we've seen a lot of, um, I call them anti-nuclear activists, kind of coming out of the woodwork. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, just I hear it more because I'm in the town that's potentially a host community. But um, just, you know, comments about nuclear workers don't care about our safety. They're just doing what's best for the industry. Um, Mm. Just... You know, little snide remarks about things like that. And the, the general anti-nuclear sentiment seems to be growing among opponents of the DGR. Um, hmm. You know, we hear all the time now that nuclear power should be shut down and all of that great stuff. It's great to hear when you're employed there. You hear that a lot. Um, and, and in general, I think there's a lot of um, misinformation out there that has to be cut through. So I applaud your efforts. To be, um, it's not easy. That's for sure. <laughs> to be pro, uh, pro nuclear. So you're hosting the stand up for nuclear event, uh, as am I. Uh, I'm doing one in Ottawa. You're doing one where? Uh, King Carden. King Carden. This is a, a long overdue celebration of our climate heroes in the clean nuclear industry. Uh, tell me about a bit about the event you're hosting. So right now, I've got a lot going on. So unfortunately, my stand up event. Um, isn't the top of my priority list. It should be. Um, But right now we're just kind of hosting it as an open house um, to stop by Victoria Park in King Carden, say hi. Um, We're going to put together a little scavenger hunt for kids, have some gummy bears for people to take home. Um, Nice. Hopefully a couple of information pamphlets and we're hoping to do a draw 
and we don't know yet how we're going to do that, but it's uh, something we are planning. Yeah, the gummy bear has become the kind of the representative of the uranium pellet uh, as a great uh, way to reach out to kids and, and get them familiar with with nuclear as well. Yeah. One thing you hear a lot about in the public is is the as a nuclear professional, you probably hear it a lot as well. What do you, how do you feel as a nuclear professional about the what about the waste argument? Is that an overblown fear? Like, why is this top billing? No, nuclear waste hasn't ever hurt anyone, has it? No. Um, yeah, it's never hurt. Civilian nuclear waste has never hurt anyone. Um, the, the what about the waste? I feel like it's very much the anti-nuclear activists clinging to something that is difficult to understand. Um, it's a very technical concept. Um, and a reasonable person might not know a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's really easy to make the claim that nuclear waste is this big, bad, awful thing. Um, I, I do believe it's overblown. Nuclear waste, especially in Canada, has been stored safely and successfully for decades. We've never had an issue. Um, like I said, it's definitely anti-nuclear activists just trying to have something to argue against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I first chatted with you, I was... Uh, saying that I was opposed to a deep geological repository because I'd rather recycle the partially used fuel and power society for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you disagreed. Why do you support the DGR as a nuclear professional? Um, Yeah, I wouldn't say that I disagree with the recycling aspect, but I do disagree with the notion that we don't need a DGR. Okay. Um, And for two reasons, because Right now, the waste is safe where it is, but it's very heavily reliant on on oversight and human intervention to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was speaking to someone and they had said it takes about 100 people employed to keep the fuel safe where it is by monitoring. And eventually there'll be upgrades to casks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel very strongly that we need to come up with a solution that does not require human intervention before we actually need it. Um, if we're ever in a situation where, you know, the government or the employees can't look after the fuel, we're not going to be able to implement anything. It's probably going to be a situation like another world war where we won't have time (laughs) because, you know, a DGR takes time. I see. Um, And I also, the fuel is retrievable up until the point when they seal the DGR, they can get it back out, um, which is at the discretion of the community and the regulator. So, as long as the community feels there's a benefit to keeping it open or feels there's the p- potential to reprocess the fuel, we can bring it back up and do so. Okay. So if you do eventually get a breeder reactor facility going that where you could reuse the, the 95% of the fuel that wasn't burnt the first time through, uh, then you can go back and get it as long as it hasn't been sealed off yeah. uh, due to some other problem. Yeah, and my understanding is the placement rooms get sealed off first, but all of the access tunnels are still there until they actually seal the whole facility. So we're looking at at least 100, 150 years before they look at doing that. Um, okay, well, that's significant. So there's a long time frame there, you know, and if we always make it a point to pass on to the next generation that we don't want to seal it, then it won't be sealed. Interesting. So um, maybe for the listeners, can you outline what the what the situation is in Canada with the deep geological repositories and what the pathway is to to get to a, having a deep geological repository? Uh, sure. Yeah. The Nuclear Waste Management Organization um, was 
given the mandate to, um, what's the right word, permanently store our fuel, our spent fuel, or to make a plan to store the spent fuel. And they did consultation with Canadians and a deep geological repository was overwhelmingly what people seem to have wanted. Um, so the NWMO started a process to look for a willing host community. It's always been their mandate that they will not force a DGR on a community that does not want it, um, which I think is a good starting point. Mm -hmm. um, they started with 22, I think, communities that had stepped up and said, we'd be willing to look into this. And it has slowly dwindled down to two. Um, so South Bruce here in Bruce County and then um, Ignace up in Northern Ontario are the last two remaining in the process. So we're both sites are undergoing borehole drilling to see what um, the rock looks like, which is a huge deal for the DGR, the kind of rock that it goes into. It's one of the safety barriers. And uh, we're also waiting to determine if the communities are willing or not <laughs> to host it, which is another big question. Okay. So at this point, we don't know whether the science uh, or the, the, the geology of these sites will support a DGR. Right. Uh, we're just in the very early stages of this. What's, what's the timeline for, for this to go ahead if, if we find a community is interested? So they are wanting to determine a willing community or pick a host community by 2023 is kind of the timeline that we've been been seeing a lot. Um, and it looks like about 10 years after that um, for licensing and construction. Mm -hmm. And it looks, I can't remember if operations would start in 2033 or if operations would start in 2030 or 2043. I can't remember the exact timeline. I've got a lot of numbers in my head. Okay. But um, it's, it's a long ways out anyway. It's definitely, if they decide that, a community is willing in 2023 nothing will be built <laughs> for a while i see and what's the what's the discussion like around the the pros and cons of hosting a dgr uh, are people worried about nuclear accidents or um I, mean, I assume that the fear that's out there surrounding nuclear power is is on everybody's mind what are the what are the real issues uh, surrounding a DGR, if any? I think some of the real issues definitely are safety. Um, this, this is the thing when I try to, I try to explain a DGR to people. A lot of people um, think about Chernobyl and Fukushima Daiichi and Three Mile Island and, you know, the, the major reactor meltdowns. And they equate that with waste storage. Um, you know, I see it all the time that we'll, we'll be the next Chernobyl if we have a DGR here. And I think what people don't really understand is that a DGR and waste storage is exponentially safer than a reactor. And the reactors are crazy safe. Like, And I think it's trying to explain the difference, you know, that the waste is sitting there. It's not fissioning. There's no reaction happening. It's just kind of hanging out, doing its thing getting less radioactive every day that it sits there. Mm -hmm. Losing its activity. Yes, and I think it's just really hard to explain to people that, um, you know, you can't really equate the two. And it's trying to separate those feelings because I think those are really real fears. You know, people who experience Chernobyl and experience Fukushima, it's a, real, it's a real event that happened to them. And I'm sure it was terrifying um, at the time when we knew we didn't know as much about nuclear as we do now. 
And yeah, I'm not trying to downplay those feelings, but I feel like it's just that separation needs to happen and it's really hard to do. Yeah. So what are the rational fears surrounding a DGR? You say there are safety issues. Yeah, I think, you know, people are worried about the water being contaminated, which by my calculations would take millions of years to ever happen if it happened. Um, and that's like worst case scenario failure of a DGR. And that, that's because the, of the design of these DGRs to put them in a place where the water just moves over geological time scales, right? Yeah. So the way it looks at the way it looks right now, what I know based on um, what they did for the low and intermediate DGR, the potential one in um, Bruce Powers on Bruce Power site, was the rock hydraulic conductivity was something like three million years for radionuclides to travel one meter in the rock. So like it's astronomical time scales we're looking at, like longer than humans have existed by multiples. And at that point, the, the waste is no longer dangerous. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know, I guess it could be a concern, you know, if they, if they picked a spot that they didn't analyze the rock, you know, or if they, if they really misstepped in container, um, planning or container engineering but I, I think I do believe that the NWMO has a really good plan I, I do think that it it was safe I don't have I don't really have a whole lot of issues with safety I can see why some people would mm -hmm. um, I have a lot more concerns um, like socioeconomic concerns about you know like growth of our town mm -hmm. we live in a really small town um, do we want to become a really big town how do we stop that from happening with a huge employer coming in um, like I have, I have concerns more like that. Um, I see. More not so much um, safety. If the rock is good, I'll, when the boreholes come back, I'll know for sure how I feel about safety. But um, yeah, there's there's other like low level concerns I would say. But um, on the whole, if the rock is good, I think it's a pretty safe plan. Yeah, the the containers that the the dry casks are very difficult to damage very unlikely to be you know punctured in any sort of accident those things are tested to uh, to withstand you know huge yeah. impacts and explosions and so and it's not like this is liquid waste from the from the fuel either this these are metal rods yeah. right yeah well and that's the thing too i said to somebody once um you know transportation is probably my biggest concern and even then i'm not that concerned <laughs> you know, I, I know how they test the containers, you know, people do say, well, accidents happen. You can't control that, um, which is true. Accidents happen. But the point of the cask um, testing is to ensure that when accidents happen, the container remains whole and nothing escapes from the container. So it's not so much preventing accidents as it is preventing the effects of an accident yeah i think that the bigger risk would be the increased traffic resulting in, in traffic accidents uh just normal run-of-the-mill traffic accidents uh that you would have to experience as you said with a larger city with more mm -hmm. economic activity going on yeah well and interesting when you're when we talk about accidents um there was comments about an accident in northern ontario that was it was hauling some sort of nuclear medical nuclear waste um, or a, some sort of medical nuclear something. And anyway, in this truck accident, people died. The, the vehicles lit on fire and people died. They were unrecognizable and they were identified, I think, by like dental records or something. But, you know, people say that, oh, nuclear waste, it did that. But like those deaths had nothing to do with the nuclear waste on the truck. They're unfortunate and awful and traumatic. And I am not 
implying that they're not, but to say that that's because it was nuclear stuff on the truck is ridiculous, you know? You, you really have to go that extra mile as a nuclear uh, industry employee uh, because anything you do is going to be held against the nuclear industry as a whole, it seems. Yeah. No, talking about the the um, the science about water moving slowly over millions of years, I think um, not a lot of people are aware, but there's actually um, been natural uh, uranium reactors that operated in uh, you know half a billion years ago in in Oklo, uh, where they actually you know over millions of years water ran through uranium rich rock and created nuclear waste effectively exposed in the rock and exposed in the surface and over the intervening 500,000 billion years whatever it's been this stuff is is moved less than 10 meters yeah yeah that 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 analogy really blows my mind um you know and it's it's funny here in Canada because our reactors run on their can do reactors they use natural uranium and uh i've had people tell me that you can't compare that to, to nuclear fuel because it's not the same. Like, no, actually, that is exactly the same because that's exactly what we would put in our reactor. So it's literally the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People are used to the, the U.S. version where they enrich the fuel. Mm -hmm. um, so you've, as a very active proponent of nuclear energy, you started a group called Willing to Listen. Um, tell me about why you started this group and, and what the group represents. Yeah, so Willing to Listen is kind of my, it's my baby right now. Um, it started out of, I will just say sheer anger, really. There's no other way to say it. Um, we have a, a very loud anti-nuclear group in the South Bruce that has come about with this DGR stuff. And they were sharing and continue to share things that are just blatantly not true or inaccurate or misrepresented. Um, and as a nuclear worker, it was really frustrating to me. Um, I still see things every day that if I responded to everything, I would literally have to quit my job <laughs> because I would take oh, wow. all my yeah. time to respond to it. Um, but I just, I don't, there was nobody else standing up and saying, this stuff's not true. Like, this isn't accurate. And I really felt that that presence needed to be there, um, which has proven true. We have a lot of people involved with willing to listen, um, you know, paying attention. We've had people who've told us they've changed their mind on how they feel about the DGR based on what we tell them and what we share, um, which I think is, is good, but we're not really out to change minds. We just, we just want to make sure that the people who haven't decided yet are getting information from multiple sources and trying to make sure that the information out there is being corrected if it's not true. So you're like a fact checking organization for the DGR. Well, kind of. I wouldn't go quite that far. I don't necessarily guarantee that what I say is accurate either, but I'm pretty quick to step up and admit when I've got it wrong. So No, that's good. I think it's necessary. And I think you're right that, that a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of people that are afraid to speak up because of the, the sort of rabid anti-nuclear loud voices at, at the far extreme of the political spectrum. Um, people are afraid to get involved. And I think there is a quiet majority out there that is willing to listen. And I hope that you can find them with, with your work. I think that's, that's great that you've done that. So how's the podcast going? <laughs> it's funny, actually, though, when you mentioned the quiet majority and, you know, being scared to speak up, because we do have a very large group of people in South Bruce who don't want to speak up for whatever reason. Um, 
you know, we've had people that have had their jobs threatened. People have gone and tried to get people fired from their jobs. We've had people threaten business owners that they won't do business with them anymore if they support the DGR. Um, so we just have a lot of people who don't want to say how they feel, don't want to be involved um, out of fear of judgment and persecution, basically, wow. which I think is really sad. It's it's a really sad state of affairs when you go that route. Um, and all that blame is being put on our council and the NWMO saying that it's their fault. Um, nobody's really wanting to take responsibility for their actions. And it's uh, it's kind of disheartening when you come from a small town um, to see that happening. Hmm. Hmm. That really isn't good. You don't you don't want to see that sort of thing. And, and that's the when the, when the debates become polarized and people aren't willing to talk and people start using ad hominems and they start uh, threatening rather than putting up an argument. Um, that's not good. Uh, so I'm glad you're, you're calling them out. That takes some <clears throat> that takes some bravery. So you've started a podcast. How's it going? It's uh, it's going it's going. It's a little more than I thought I was getting into. It's a little more than I bargained for. But, um, you know, what started as kind of a Facebook group for advocacy, it's really hard to keep people's attention on Facebook. You know, they like short, snappy, quick things they can share. They don't want to read a lot of stuff. Um, so it's difficult. Home of the meme. Yeah, it's really difficult to explain nuclear power and nuclear waste issues in a meme, you know, or in a pic. Like, it's so hard because it's so complicated. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of I find the podcast a little bit better of an avenue for that. I agree. <laughs> so, yeah, I really think like the sky's the limit there. Um, I'm just getting started, but I've got tons of ideas for people to come on and things to talk about. So I'm really hoping that it picks up in its um, audience and that, you know, the word gets around. That's that's great. Um, I'm I'm super stoked to see you doing that. And it's the same reason that I, I started this podcast is it's like it's just so tiring arguing on social media it seems like social media has become you know basically just weaponized meme posting to to ridicule uh, a straw man on both sides and everyone's sitting happily in their echo chamber uh ridiculing straw men and nobody's talking and and you really need to have kind of the the time scale of a podcast to get an issue across and to, mm -hmm. to really dig into things. And that's that I really like that part about the medium, that the fact that you can talk to people, talk to experts. And I, I use this to learn. I mean, this is great. I, I talk to you and I've learned stuff. And, you know, I just talk to all the people that are involved and find out, you know, where they sit on the issues and, and what they know. And so I get to learn with my listeners. Yeah. It, it's funny. It's funny when you talk about the echo chamber, because that's very much what's happening in South Bruce with our opposition group is, you know, any of the very vocal people who are not opposed to the project, who would speak up and correct misinformation, have all been banned from their Facebook page. It's it's quite hilarious, actually, the number of us who've been banned. I think it's funny, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you find that everywhere. It's, it's crazy. It's tiring thinking about arguments that don't jive with your preconceived notions. It's difficult to think about outside the box and it's very difficult to change your opinion if you've especially if you've gone and posted memes on facebook that takes you know oh i'm wrong yeah yeah <laughs> that's very difficult yeah for sure well and that's what i've said to people too they i get asked all the time like what's going to change your mind or you know how when will you decide if you're actually a for or against this dgr and my answer always is when the four holes come up i think will be my big deciding factor they reach 715 meters they're going to 900 in the boreholes so borehole number one will be done soon 
Um, cool. And yeah, I've said to if the rock sucks, I'll put a yellow no DGR sign on my lawn because if it's if it's crap, I don't want it here. You know, if, if the rock sucks, sure. I don't want it here anymore than the next guy. I've got kids here. My nieces and nephews are here. My friends' kids are here. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. If it's not going to be safe, I don't want it here as much as the next guy. Well, that's something that I learned in an interview with uh, James Conca, actually. Uh, Dr. Conca has been involved with um, the U.S. Uh, deep geological repositories, Yucca Mountain, and uh, the WIP facility, which is the actual operating one for the for the waste from weapons. And basically, you know, they've spent a lot of money on Yucca Mountain, but it's not a good scientific solution because the rock is fractured. Yep. Whereas the WIP one is this ancient salt um bed basically that, that it's self-sealing uh any sort of heat seals it better mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's just the ideal place to put it it's it's a no-brainer yep. uh if you have something like that to, to put the nuclear waste it's been there for for billions of years and it'll stay there for billions of years uh so yeah this the science is is what people should be listening to and i'm sure that's going to come out and hopefully it's a a good solution and and maybe we'll help people to be more comfortable with nuclear power. Cause I think that's, that's what we want to achieve by getting a DGR in Canada is that people become more comfortable with the perceived risk of nuclear waste. The perceived risk. Yeah. It's always <laughs> hard though to change people's emotional response. That's what I find most anti-nuclear sentiments, whether they're against nuclear power, nuclear waste, um, is first of all, the, the acquaintance with nuclear weapons, which is, irrelevant but people do it and um you know that emotional reaction it's really hard to to cut that emotional reaction yeah it's and you know it's it's always made it hard as a proponent because i remember back in the in the 70s and 80s when the anti-nuclear weapons testing you know most right-thinking people are against open-air nuclear weapons testing let's stop this you know we're, we're spreading radiation we don't need to do this there's no good reason for it but then the nuclear power kind of got caught up in that and it was hard to stand up and and make that differentiation argument yeah. and i i see it as almost a swords to plowshares kind of thing you know we're we're taking the nuclear fuel and we're using it for good rather than leaving it available for weapons I, yeah, I know. Those emotional things are definitely my, they're my thing, you know, or trying to, yeah, just trying to make that, break that connection, I guess. Not make the connection, it's break that connection. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I'm all for stopping nuclear weapons. I think they're awful things, you know, but that doesn't mean I'm against nuclear power. Um, they don't all go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and, it, and people make decisions based on emotions. I, I've learned that as well in, in this podcast, you know. Rational decisions are very rare. Most of the time, we use our rational faculty to rationalize the emotional decision that we've made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I do find that actually, we've I've said before um, to people speaking to them on the street in town. You know, we have we have like rational opposition, and then we have our radical opposition. <laughs> there's there's two different camps there. Um, there are people who I think are legit just concerned about, you know, socioeconomic status and like how that's going to affect the town and things like that. And then there's the people who just don't want a DGR in our town hard stop for whatever reason. And, you know, they're not willing to listen to any science or reasoning because they just don't want it. There seems to be a a groundswell of nimbyism um, in just about every issue that you can think of that has a downside. Uh, Nobody wants to um, have it in their backyard and and that's going to lead us to a 
back into the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Well, and that can be said about anything, really. We've been, in my work with Willing to Listen, I've done a lot of research on some of the big projects around um, Teeswater and South, or specifically Teeswater. Um, and years and years and years ago, they wanted to put in sewers. And there was a big group of people who did not want sewers put in, like just no, no sewers. But then by the time they got around to actually doing it, the cost had doubled, <laughs> obviously, because it was however long later. Um, or even just opposition to Kinetrix has a laundry facility in town, you know, and people are, what are they doing there? What's happening there? Um, you know, there was discussion about possibly them expanding, you know, there was discussion of maybe doing medical isotopes there, oh, cool. which like to me, I'm like, that would be fantastic. Like, let's do that. You know, let's save people's lives. That's a great idea. No, no, we don't want that. You know, opposition didn't want that happening. Um, we have a marijuana farm outside of town. People wrote letters to council about, you know, marijuana farms and how they're horrible and we don't want one next door. And it's like, is there anything you don't oppose? Like it, it does turn into that, that bananas argument, you know, that build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I've never heard of that one. That's good. But I'm like, it's true. You know, these same people oppose everything that comes to town that doesn't directly benefit them. Yeah. And, and it's basically uh, the slog that we have decided to take on yeah. <laughs> to, to try to change minds one at a time if, if necessary. Yeah. I just, I feel very strongly that you know, nuclear power is needed for climate change. I, I feel very strongly about that, regardless of what my job is. People always say that I say that just because I work at Bruce Power. Um, but I like I don't. I, I definitely feel that it's important and it's required and it's the best way to get energy to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, instead of the billions of people who don't have electricity, um, you know, and I think the best way to do that is to have a solution to the fuel so that people can stop using that as their talking point. And I do believe that's why anti-nuclear activists fight against DGRs and storage solutions is because they don't want a solution. Like it's in their best interest and their pocketbook's best interest to not have a solution to waste. Right. Yeah. If, if, if you take away that, that one uh, of the three stool legs of the anti-nuclear argument, then suddenly nuclear energy becomes viable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> All you got left is what about Chernobyl? Yeah. I, I do feel very strongly that that is the, that is the motivation there with anti-nuclear activists and they cling on to small community groups like we have in South Bruce, you know, and feed them stuff that's not true to scare them because they maybe don't know any different. And, you know, they tell them nuclear workers can't be trusted because I get told that all the time that I can't be trusted as a nuclear worker. And, you know, it's just the perfect storm, really. They scare people out of their pants and it works. Well, anyone who speaks up for for the science is going to be labeled as a nuclear shill. I've been also uh, labeled the same uh, on, in any online argument when they run out of uh, pamphlets to throw at you uh, and <laughs> the yeah. abominums begin. The thing, the thing that I read, I read the other day and I totally think it's true. If someone says, if someone ends a conversation with your nuclear shell, you've won the conversation because they cannot argue your facts anymore. So once they start throwing out, oh, you're just a shill. You've won. Yeah, then that's exactly it. And then you you walk away. The the reason we argue isn't to isn't to change the minds of the of the convinced. It's to is to basically uh, show the facts uh, and and convince the people that are, are quietly listening. Yeah. Uh, about where you know people that have honest questions, and I, I like your your title, willing to listen. That's that really does capture the essence of that stance i think Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and i get questioned on that that title a lot um 
you know, our opposition will say, I'm not willing to listen to those opposed, um, which isn't true. If there's a, if there's a rational, reasonable point of opposition, I will absolutely look into that for somebody. I will spend the time with the connections that I've made in the industry and outside the industry to find them an answer, but I won't entertain things that are ridiculous. Like I won't entertain them because I don't have time for that. You know, if there's something that's been proven over and over again, I don't have time to rehash that. Like um, a specific example is the, the thickness of the copper coating on the canisters in Canada is proposed for three millimeters. And, you know, people keep saying that's not safe because in Sweden they've decided five centimeters isn't enough. You know, but but they don't talk about the flawed research, you know, that came to that conclusion or all the rebuttal research that's happened since that's proven that actually the copper is fine. They don't talk about any of that. They stick to the one talking point and bring it up repeatedly. Hmm. So, like, I've just stopped addressing that point because it's been dealt with in my mind. And, you know, it's not a concern. But for anyone not following along, they don't know that. They don't know that that's been dealt with. Well, there's such a... a um mess of online videos out there that live forever and every new person who's indoctrinated into the anti-nuclear talking points has to go through them and every time you you know i basically gather up a a list of rebuttals for each each discussion that you get into with a new person yeah it's 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 really time consuming but um in the end like i said i think it's worth it i think nuclear power is important and uh i think the dgr is important whether it goes in south bruce or not i don't know i want it to go wherever it's safe um but you know i think these things are important and we need to try to take emotion out of it and you know, use our rational brain well that's uh, a great uh, ending point for the rational view discussion thank you so much for joining me before i go i have a question for you that i ask a lot of my guests okay what kind of science fiction do you like um i read a lot of books I read a lot of books. Um, Actually, I went through a phase where I read a lot of like dystopian stuff, like post-apocalypse kind of things, which is, yeah, kind of weird. But yeah, I read a lot of that. But lately it's all nuclear stuff. That's all I do now is nuclear power (laughs) research, which is depressing. But (laughs) I have to step off and do some uh, recreational reading again. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Sheila. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us and and Good luck keeping the lights on in Ontario. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, and I will do my best. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.